when she went up that thing and went, oh, ah, ah, it was like, oh, yes. Well, no wonder. <laughs> well, no wonder. My name's Quincy. My name's Kevin. And this is Sentimental Men. But keep your thumb away from that skip button. Because we're here to talk. And maybe scream. About our favorite women in musical theater. It's been a minute since we've done this, I feel like. I know. I'm a little rusty. Like Bach, when Dorothy finds him. That was a combining of worlds. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Speaking of a combining of worlds, somebody sent us in the DMs a German bootleg of the melting scene in the Hamburg production. Oh, really? Did you watch that when they sent it? No. Flag that to me. Okay, I will. (laughs) It is... um, so drastically different than the Broadway production. Is it cool? It like duplicates the scene from The Wizard of Oz. Like Fierro and Bach and somebody in a lion suit and somebody dressed as Dorothy like come out, no scrim. It's not like in shadow. They like come out with the water bucket. They throw it. Alphaba goes down and then they walk off stage. It kind of feels like Wicked Broadway should have done that. Well... At first it was really jarring, but then I thought about it and I was like, oh no, that actually makes the Fiero it worked moment like work a lot better, I think. Like if we see Fiero like there as like part of the plan Mm -hmm. and then he comes back in and knows to like knock and bring Elphaba up. Well, doesn't, isn't that what that little note scene is for in Wicked, where she reads that note in two seconds, which I have grievances about that scene because I don't feel like Alphabas ever read long enough to like, that's a pretty complicated plan to communicate and lay out to someone. And I feel like in the musical, they read it for like three seconds and then move on. And I feel like they really need to read that note longer. <laughs> like, I always thought that that was like, Chistery can't talk. So he like, somehow wrote something sure. to Alphaba that said like they're they're coming they're on their way to kill you or whatever that feels universal that feels like something we all went through as kids but now that I realize that that is what happens I do agree that it should be a slightly longer beat it's just like very quick yeah that. but anyway so that's the difference with Hamburg I think it'll transfer <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna play new world stages <laughs> We are here today for a very, very exciting episode. I agree. Before we do that, actually, Kevin, tell me about your recent theater going experience because I also had a pretty great week of theater going that I would like you to You sure about did, here. yeah. Well, so, okay, so this week I saw Into the Woods at New York City Center and I, continuing on the theme of Sondheim, I saw oh, Company yeah. on Broadway last night. Oh, wait, that's kind of a special week for you. At City Center, I went on uh, opening night and they made a little speech before where they were like, this is the first time that Steve isn't here to see our Mm -hmm. presentation of his work. And like from that point on, I was like, no, I can't do this. A lot of that particular show just like hits different now that he's not here. I saw it on Thursday and I was like watching Act 2 which is famously the, de- the depressing act. Yeah. And I was sobbing mm-hmm. during Children Will Listen right when the lights come up. <laughs> the rudest thing to do, City Center. <laughs> I went on a journey when that happened because the door, I was sitting right by a door. And oh, so God. the doors open and I'm like, listeners, for those who don't, for those who didn't see it, this New York City Center production of Into the Woods during Children Will Listen, they bring the lights up and bring out like community choir of children and grown adults yeah. to help the cast sing. Yes. The rest of Children Will Listen. Yes. And it was very confusing. They were wearing all black and I'm sitting by the door. And at first I'm thinking, oh, it's the ushers coming in to get ready for the end of the show. And oh, then they started singing. And I was like, can you all stop? Like, this? <laughs> And then I realized that it was like a thing. <laughs> well, I was in the balcony. And the choir was, like, off from the people singing on stage. So it yeah. was very, like, dissonant to be hearing. I wish they would have just put them on the risers. I agree. I was like, all of these people should have just come out behind the cast on stage. Like, I don't know why we needed... I guess it, like, brings you into the world of it all. Yeah. It sounds like we didn't enjoy the production. I loved oh, this production. Oh, I loved it. But that, that, as the last moment of the show, was really jarring. 
it was just jarring because I was fully crying and then all the house lights come up and I just like looked around and everyone was like quickly wiping tears off of their face because we had all been exposed. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking this show hit so hard as you like go through life, like certain songs mm-hmm. and the grief of it all was hitting a lot harder than it ever has. And then I was thinking, oh, this isn't even the hardest it's going to hit probably in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like as things continue to happen, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do Into the Woods as I get older. Yes, I agree. And I think this moment in history, the like theme that really hit for me was like their world being turned upside down and like that all hit really hard. It was a treat, a delight, a gift, uh, a wonder to see Heather Headley's witch. She found, like, nuances to that role that I've never seen before. Also, Miss Sarah Bareilles as the baker's wife, Mm. I was really, really impressed by her. Blew me away. Yeah. I feel like we as a society have gotten really used to hearing Sarah Bareilles. We all know she's so talented, has a beautiful, beautiful voice. But my takeaway was, like, it was so cool to see Sarah Bareilles sing material that wasn't written for her voice and like watch her navigate that because I feel like everything we've seen from Sarah Bareilles has been written obviously for her voice kind of in her own music Mm -hmm. and in Waitress. She does have a way of making everything she sings sound Mm -hmm. like a Sarah Bareilles song if that makes sense. Yeah especially in Moments in the Woods. Mm -hmm. I feel like usually often a baker's wife sings like part of that song in a more chesty place and then like flips up into a mixier place on like um mm-hmm. let the moment go don't forget about a moment though and sarah kind of like did the opposite of that like she like went into her belt on those higher parts and i just thought it was amazing. so cool it was i was so so impressed with her more sarah we said sarah Bareilles, bobby company uh, yes i literally was about to say that to you she would be so yeah. good Speaking of Bobby and company, how was company? Company was really, really fun. I had a great time. And I think company is going to like dominate all of the best supporting nominations Mm. this year. I think we're, I think we're in for like at least two nominations for each category. I think it'll be Matt Doyle and Chris Fitzgerald and Patty and Jen Smart. See, I disagree only because I think the featured categories are so uh, crowded this year. I think Company will get one in each. I don't imagine it would get more than one just because there's so many other shows that Mm -hmm. have strong featured performances. I think it's like that's kind of the category that's going to be stacked this year. Um, Speaking of which, Tony Noms are on Monday. Very excited and nervous for myself excited and scared yeah for you. <laughs> <laughs> um I, can i just breeze through the things i saw this week because i think you should see them as well i saw which way is the stage at mcc Theater. i can't wait to it see it so funny everyone who listens to this podcast needs to see this play at mcc because you will love it it does feel like it's going to give big sentimental energy it is it it was like written by quincy and kevin it was <laughs> so so funny and so specific um, then I saw Into the Woods. Then I saw A Strange Loop, which uh, everyone should see. Run to buy tickets. And then, oh, I saw POTUS, which also <gasps> everyone should see. There's a lot of good theater happening right now. And it feels like usually like right before Tony season, like when you're talking to people, it's usually like, oh yeah, like it's good. But like, if you don't see it, it's like no big deal. Like, that's fine. Yeah. And then there's ones that are like, no, 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 you have to see this. And I feel like that is not a balanced thing this year. I feel like people are really saying, like, this is a must-see for, like, mm-hmm. across the board, everything that's opening. Well, it feels like a lot of good things came out right before the Tony cutoff. So it's, like, all these great stuff are coming out only now and all mm-hmm. at once. So it's, like, everyone's just, like, scrambling to see everything. Yeah. Definitely see which way is the stage, which way is the party, which, which way, way is the, the stage. I kept doing that. Which yeah, way is which the way... party? <laughs> The cut song from <laughs> See a Strange Loop, please. And see POTUS. Yeah. I'm so excited for today's guest. Me too. Kevin, why don't you take us through her resume? I love that we do this thing where we don't say the guest's name. Like, Even though it's in the episode like, title. Yeah. 
which they do in which way is the stage. The whole play is essentially about Adina Menzel, but they only refer to her as her and she. It's like, she would never do this. Her, what do you think she would think about? Which I kind yeah, of yeah. love. I love that. <laughs> Anyways, we're talking to Beth Level today. Oh! So excited. Kevin, I think we need to start going through her resume because it's going to take us. It's long and we don't have much time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Quincy. So Beth Level's journey to this episode of Sentimental Men started when she attended Meredith College and earned a degree in social work. Minored in theater. Minored in theater. She got a graduate degree in theater from UNC Greensboro. After graduating from UNC Greensboro, she was in 42nd Street, both on the national tour and on Broadway as Annie, which like powerhouse role and also like what a fabulous debut. After that, in 1988, she was on the national tour of Greece as Rizzo. I if would have paid. Has audio of her, there are worse things I could do. I cannot imagine Can we how good. <laughs> Yeah, I would. Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Welcome to Sentimental Men. Can I get a 16 real quick? (laughs) After that, in 1992, she was back on Broadway in the original Broadway cast of Crazy For You, where she played Tess and understudied Polly Baker. Mm -hmm. In 1994, she was at the Gershwin in Showboat on Broadway as Ellie. There's her wicked touch point. (laughs) After that, in 1999, she was in the original Broadway cast of The Civil War as Mrs. Bigsby and Mabel. In 2001, I am obsessed with this. She was back in 42nd Street, but in the 42nd Street revival on Broadway. Who else can say that? Who else can say that? In 2006, Beth Level opened The Drowsy Chaperone on Broadway in the titular role of the drowsy chaperone, Beatrice Stockwell, for which which she earned the Drama Desk, Outer Critics Circle, and Tony Award. The Triple Crown, baby. I love you including the Drama Desk and OCC. (laughs) That's like, but that's like a clean sweep. It is. No, it is. That meant she was the darling of New York in that moment. That was like such a... That was her star moment. She was, that was her Beth Level is here moment. Yeah. And it's crazy because she had like a full career before that moment and continues to have a full career to this day. So like, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed. Then two years later in 2008, she replaced Andrea Martin in Young Frankenstein on Broadway, which is such a fun overlap because it's like, then I think of her in every other role that Andrea Martin has done. Sure. Oh, it's time to start living. <laughs> She'd be good in that. Yeah. I'm telling you. In 2009, this feels very important for the two of us, Quincy. She was uh, back on Broadway as Donna in Mama Murphy. As Donna in Murphy. Mama Mia. Donna in Mama Murphy. <laughs> in 2010, she was in Elf the Musical on Broadway as Emily, the, the mom the main Mm -hmm. mom character. In 2011, she led the company of Baby It's You on Broadway, for which she earned her second Tony nomination. Mm. She did the workshops and readings of Something Rotten as B, which now all I I did not know that. I need to hear Right Hand Man. In 2017, she was in Bandstand on Broadway as June Adams. And then... In 2018, back on Broadway, I feel like I've said back on Broadway like 12 times in this because Mm -hmm. she's always here. Um, Back on Broadway in The Prom, playing Dee Dee Allen, for which she earned her third and most recent Tony nomination. And then this summer, she will be in Chicago doing the out-of-town production of The Devil Wears Prada as Miranda Priestly, which is just like... It's like you have to hire a legend to play a legend like that. I'm so excited for this musical. I'm so curious about this musical. I want to know if you can talk about this musical. I know. I hope she can. Yeah. I feel like she has been talking about this musical. I'm debating going to Chicago to see this musical. Mm -hmm. And to top off this resume portion, 
Mere days ago, literally yesterday from when we're recording this, Beth received an honorary doctorate from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. So Quincy, we're talking to our second Tony winner and our very first ever doctor. (laughs) Doctor level. This is a scholar that we're having on the podcast today. A woman of education and seriousness. Which I think is a great segue to my choices, options, and bootleg. Lay it on me. And I think this one is going to throw you for a world. <laughs> but what I will say about this COB that I have for Beth Level is that this is what made me fall in love with Beth Level. Okay. And it is a video that young Quincy stumbled across. Not even a video. It was a bootleg. So back when Quincy was young and like in his bootleg phase, He traded for a bootleg of Elf the Musical. Why? I know. Because Stephanie J. Block's husband, Sebastian Arsalus, was starring as Buddy the Elf. And I was doing my due diligence and seeing what Sebastian was all about. Yeah. (laughs) And I I watched it front. Like, I sat down and watched that bootleg, which I feel like, at least I don't do that anymore. Like, I don't sit down and watch the whole two-hour bootleg. I'll skip it down. And I'm watching it. And then we get to this song called There is a Santa Claus. Mm. (laughs) Oh, you know it? Quincy, I saw her do this live. Oh, okay. Because this felt like a niche choice for me. (laughs) Keep going. It's so good. First of all, that song, the melody... Beth Level is here with us today. Ah. Not just Beth Level, Quincy, Dr. Beth Level is here with us today. Are you going to require people to call you doctor moving forward? Yes. Not Tony Award winner, Beth Level, doctor. No, no, I'm certain I'm going to mesh the two, Tony Doctor Level or Dr. Tony Level. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so talk to us about that. How did that happen? So random and, and such a delight and a gift. I literally a month ago, I get this email from the powers that be at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro mm-hmm. going, congratulations. Your alma mater. Your, my alma mater, where I got my MFA. And they said, we would love to bestow an honorary doctorate degree on you. And I literally tell Adam, my fiance, it's like, have I been hacked? Is this spam? <laughs> yeah. I mean, is this, is this like for real? <laughs> and indeed it was. And... What they also asked me to do was <laughs> to write the commencement speech. Oh my God, pressure. For like 4,000 people. You're very qualified though. Oh, I don't know. I'm not a writer, you know, so it was very colloquial. Let's try to say that again. And <laughs> funny and I hope, you know, they say write what you know. So that's what I did. And I got yeah. back last night at midnight because there was tornadoes <laughs> in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, oh my gosh. I love to fly. Yeah. No, it was go- it's all good. Yeah. It was really yeah. it was a life experience and uh, it really indeed was an honor for Dr. Tony Beth Level. That yeah. makes sense, Dr. Tony Beth Level. Well, it is interesting because, you know, a doctorate degree is something that people study for and everything and to think about it in terms of your career, you have mm-hmm. been studying and learning mm-hmm. and training. Like, you are deserving of a doctorate. You know what I mean? Quincy, that's how I can justify it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Because I know all these people have been like, you know, but it's an honorary doctorate degree. It's yeah. not like I can accept patients, but maybe I can. No, yeah. Do you need theater, acting, healing? Well, visit Dr. <laughs> Tony Beth Level because she can fix it. <laughs> No, no, it's very impressive. It's really, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Okay, so I don't know if you know the shtick of our podcast, but we started as a Wicked-centric podcast where we interview different actresses who have played Alphaba, and we are slowly branching out to other favorite women in musical theater who maybe haven't been in Wicked. I'm so honored. I have not been in Wicked. <laughs> However... Oh, no! <laughs> I'm sorry. I literally... I think I just wet the chair. Yeah. <laughs> That's the doctorate at work. That's the doctorate, yeah. So you can look oh, Lord, have mercy. I don't know why I've never done Alphaba. Alphaba's grandmother. Well, what we have been noticing through our conversations with non-wicked actresses is that every actress in New York City has a wicked touch point. So a fun yeah. question we like to ask is, what is your wicked touch point? It can be anything. I saw Wicked when I was seven. <laughs> Just kidding. 
Um, my relationship, I, I will say this, I was gifted two tickets for doing a, a, a charity event for someone famous, and the gift was a ticket to Wicked. And I just absolutely, it had been running for maybe two or three years, and I had never seen it, because mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, when you're actually working, your schedules conflict, and you don't yeah, have right. time. And I remember I was totally unemployed, and was able to go with a friend of mine, and we saw Wicked. And it's this empowering story for women. And there she is, flying and belting, what is that, like a the P note is so high! <laughs> It's off the scale, the music scale. Yo, it's ridiculous. Literally, I'd have to have surgery. Yeah. Okay, but you are a Broadway beltress. I am a Broadway beltress, but not like, ah! I know. I, I, I know my, my top note is not a P. So <laughs> what's great, too, is the older I get, you know, the people know me, and when they're writing music for me, they can mm -hmm. write for, like, don't go above a C sharp mm -hmm. or a D. Just don't, because yeah. don't. Because I have to do eight shows a right. week, so they know my my power notes, which is a again a privilege. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when we had um, Julia Murney on a, oh. uh, a little while ago, and she was saying about the Wild Party. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. But she was saying with the Wild Party, it was like um, she said it was like a couture dress that was like made for her voice because it it fit her rather than her trying to like sing exactly. what was written for somebody else. Exactly. And that indeed is a privilege. So speaking of roles being written for you. What are you talking about? Let's zero in on the drowsy chaperone. Aww. Because we know the story that you initially didn't think that you were going to book it and then they went and maybe auditioned some other people and it wasn't fitting so then they came back to you. But... Our understanding is that once they came back to you is when the role really started being fleshed out and the characters started being built. Yeah, I think that's... They never really, from my understanding, knew what this character was. They had an idea, they had a glimpse of her DNA, but they needed, from my understanding, as in a lot of original shows and original roles, you have to find the right fit, the right voice to bring that mm -hmm. character off the page. And this character was really on the page, meaning... Mm -hmm. What is her birth process? What makes her funny? What makes her tick? What's her history? And I think they were really just trying to find out that. Mm -hmm. They auditioned a lot of people. Literally, my second, I had a callback when I initially auditioned and I came back. And, you know, they didn't, I don't think they'd even written Stumble Along then. Okay. So Stumble Along was written on you? Kind of. I think it was developed on me. Gotcha. Okay. So and I remember singing uh, 100 way, Easy Ways to Lose a Man because I just didn't know what to sing. Oh, and I auditioned. Wow. And it was a lot of, uh, back then, uh, it, it was a lot of one-liners, like, but um bumps But if you don't know yeah. who's going but um bump it doesn't really make sense. And I remember Casey Nikoloff, the director, called me, mm -hmm. which doesn't really happen, but he's a friend of mine, and said, uh, thank you so much for auditioning, but you didn't get the part. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember saying, you're absolutely right. I, I don't feel like I'm the person to, you know, put oxygen into this woman. And they just went to Los Angeles and auditioned like stars, like Eartha Kitt. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, you did. Anyway, and, uh, <laughs> I'm not telling y'all anything you don't know. Uh, like Tina Louise and just nothing yeah. was fitting. Wow. And I believe they offered it to some women and the women, it, they said they turned it down. And I really do believe that out of desperation, Casey went, just give it to Beth. Hurry up. We got to go. Yeah. We have to go. We have to go to Los Angeles, you know, for a three month out of town. And I think out of desperation, they gave it to me. And when I was there, it's like being in the room, you know, where everybody's been playing in the sandbox, but you. So it's like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. And uh, to Casey's credit, we would spend, when we went to LA, we would spend two hours every morning doing mm -hmm. character development, which is, oh, wow. which is really kind of fun. Um, mm -hmm. Did you yeah. hear the story, you could probably quote it, about the improv game that I did? No. Just say yes, you know the story about Hot no, Seat? I no, I haven't. Oh my don't. God, I'm telling you something you don't know. Um, so we had to write a bio for our character, which mine was just totally crap, because I didn't know who she was. You know, Beatrice, Beatrice Stockwell. So I would write things like, well, her parents were famous uh, sure. British royalty, just like the work bullshit. Because I really didn't <laughs> know who. Sorry, just didn't know who she was. Yeah. So towards the end of the week, uh, we did an exercise, and I remember him going, "We're going to play some theater games." And I was, <laughs> I remember thinking, "Oh boy, theater games." <laughs> uh -huh. yeah, yeah. But it 
it was kind of a turning point. We did, uh, for a couple of mornings, we did the theater game called Hot Seat, where all the creatives and all the cast and anyone else who happened to be in the neighborhood sat behind the, the desk and you would walk in and they would fire questions at you and you had to answer in your character. Oh, oh my God. That is very theater school. It's very theater school, but I never did it. So it was like, okay, what? So towards the last of this game, Casey said, and for the first time he said to me, to the group, he said, oh, ladies and gentlemen, may I please present Dame Beatrice Stockwell. And he'd never used the word dame. So I remember that changes you physically. It's like, oh, I'm a dame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the whole cast and creative team stood up and started applaud, applauding like I was Barbara Streisand, like I was the biggest star on the planet. And uh-huh. I remember going, thank you to, oh, no, no, please sit down. Oh, no, no, really. And doing, you know, my all my, be- and I, that, in that moment, I went, ah, there she is. And from that moment on, you know, yeah. knowing that tone yeah. and that point of view, we started doing stumble and that changed. And then it's like, how high can you hold that belt? And then it was just all a delicious process of discovery. It's really interesting because we, Quincy and I always say that like our podcast is like um, a celebration or like a love letter to women in theater. Thank you. And it feels like your portrayal of Beatrice is also kind of like a love letter to those grand dames that that paved the way. Paved the way and so severely flawed. Yes. So severely flawed, which gives her even more interest because she's just the biggest narcissistic, drowsy person ever. And that's why you love her. You just love her. I just saw Which Way is the Stage at MCC Theater. It's this new play. Oh, cool. And they were talking about how only in the theater are leading ladies so weird and bizarre and flawed and we love them for it. Go figure. Like, you have to be yeah. that to be one of those like legendary leading ladies on Broadway, you know? And if you're lucky enough, you get to play parts. You you are a cast in parts like Beatrice Stockwell and Dee Dee Allen, who are mm-hmm. the epitome of that flawed, delicious diva. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about Casey Nicola. Something that I've always wondered, because he started as a performer, and you were both mm-hmm. in the ensemble of 42nd Street. Is that right? No, you were so wrong. Um <laughs> I am not good enough to be in the ensemble. I We met actually in a regional theater doing a show at North Carolina Theater doing Showboat. And gotcha. I met him and my agents at the time during Showboat sent me the script to Crazy For You gotcha. to audition for the lead. And I was reading it and we were just on a break or something and Casey was sitting next to me because we kind of hit it off. And I went, mm-hmm. why don't you audition for this? So I feel totally uh, responsible <laughs> for his career and his success. Thank you. So I went, and then he was cast as Junior in the ensemble of Crazy for You, which was like such a featured ensemble. Really, everyone was a principal. And yeah. I did, I was uh, seven auditions for Crazy for You. Wow. Wow. Seven auditions. And they gave the lead to Jody Benson, and she was fantastic. And they wrote a role for me called Tess. And that's where we really got to know each other. So what, what, what is that transition from we're peers, we're both actors doing the grind, to now he's a director and I'm an actor? I have to imagine there are dynamics and relationship dynamics at play there. That's, that's a great question because we do have such a history. But when we're working, it's Casey Nicola, the director, and Beth Level, the actor. Mm-hmm. It's when we stop working, we can have that relationship again. But when he's working, he's such he's so driven and so good at what he does that I don't really think he has a personal life at all. He just is lost <laughs> in the process. Yeah. You have to be. You know, a Broadway show mm-hmm. is an incredible responsibility and privilege. Yeah. And so when we're in the room, it's just Beth is my character and Casey is the director. And that yeah. took a, a couple of hot minutes to figure that out, you know. Iron out. Just, we, yeah, just... Because that's the only way we can get the work done. But, you know, we we have private language with each other because we've known each other for so long. But we respect the room and its boundaries because we know we want the best for the show and that's what's going to serve that. Your friendship with him probably, um, I would imagine that there's a base level of trust there that he's not going to steer you wrong and you're not going to steer him wrong in the room like that. And that's really cool. He always says to me, I will always take care of you. Mm. and so I do I just sit back and 
you know, let him criticize me and let him give me terrible notes. And I go, okay. (laughs) But, you know, I I want to, it's interesting. One of the dynamics that I don't have with other, well, that may not be true, but I never want to disappoint him. Mm. I always want to serve him and make him happy. And sometimes that's not as intense with other directors. I don't have such a personal relationship with. It's like Mm -hmm. auditioning for directors I know, like when I go in on an audition for Susan Stroman, it's like the, the, I even add more pressure because I want to make sure I do the best I can for her, much less mm-hmm. booking a job. Yeah. So you had such a career before Drowsy and you've had such a career since Drowsy. That role still feels like a defining moment in the timeline of Beth Level's career. Absolutely. There yeah. was, yeah, absolutely. If I, If that role hadn't come along, um, you know, I think eventually something maybe would have come along, but that I was lucky enough because so many actors I know are so ginormously talented, but there there comes a moment when you have that opportunity because that role has been written for you. So you're able to show that. I think it was the same with Danny, Danny Burstyn, mm-hmm. you know, his Aldolfo. Mm-hmm. I just think blew his career up because he was so and is so brilliant So I'm very, very grateful for Beatrice Stockwell. So what do you think the perception of you in the industry was prior to Drowsy? And how do you think that Drowsy changed the perception of you? I think, let me just tell you this quick story. When I was nominated for a a Tony Award for Drowsy, you know, uh, it's a lovely moment. A couple of days before the actual Tony uh, broadcast, there's a luncheon at the Rainbow Room where all the nominees are invited and so I was up there sitting at my table and literally at my table was Angela Lansbury. Uh. <laughs> and, you know, Drowsy was, it, you know, it was, it was in the industry. People just love that show so much. It was yeah. just a, a, a gift for those of us who love all of our man and chair, our inside man and chairs were in that right. room. Yeah. So people were coming up to me and like going, oh, we love the show, blah, blah, blah. And they would laugh and there was a quiet moment and Angela Lansbury leans over and she goes, I'm so sorry, darling. I have no earthly idea who you are. So I, and it's like, well, of course you don't. I, and I was like, when I get nervous, I was like, oh, oh no, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm just a storyteller. And a I storyteller. Oh, the Jersey Chaperone. So that's what changed. I think Angela Lansbury would now go, oh, darling, we loved you in the prom. And I hear you doing Miranda Priestly. I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah. She was so sweet. And she was so, it was so precious that moment, her, 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 you know, her honesty. And we had a lovely conversation. But I don't remember it because I was so starstruck. Yeah. But that's what changed. That's what changed. I think Put Beth people went, map, oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting because you've been working before. Uh, oh, constantly. Yeah. But this changes. This changes everything. I'm holding Ooh, a Tony. Award not sitting face. right next to you. <laughs> Maybe it is because when I when I do uh, coaching, I always like to tell the kids they win a Tony Award because they're so good. That's right. That That's it, it goes with me everywhere like a brooch. Too much. Hello. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I would like the chicken pompow. <laughs> Kevin, did you, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, um, in terms of like the kind of roles that you were being seen for and considered for, did you see a shift pre and post Drowsy yes. Chaperone? I saw a shift in pretty much everything. Um, I wow. think oh, it was sure. an opportunity. Uh, yeah, I think it was an opportunity <laughs> for people to see what I do best, which is that mm. uh, the comedy and belt that all come together in a character like Beatrice Stockwell. So I still had to audition, like I had to audition for Donna in Mamma Mia, but I came in with a cachet and um, a history that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the things became a little easier with the Tony Award. Well, duh, you right. know. Yeah, because you have a little more weight to your... A little more, a little more gravitas to presence. my uh, yeah. my Beth Level brand. And would you say that comedy was always what you wanted to be known for? Yeah, it becomes, I just speak, I speak the language mm-hmm. and I don't know how else to explain comedy. People go, how do I learn comedy? I'm like, Oh, I don't know. You know you're just, born with it. I don't, you're born with it and then you can develop it. Mm-hmm. So it gives me great joy to make an audience laugh. Conversely, every once in a while I was able to do Malin and steal Magnolias and to have mm-hmm. that felt great to, to be able to show that other side of you, you know, because to be a great comedian, I think you have to be a great dramatic actor. Yeah. Great. Sorry, I'm using yes. that word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, comedies. It's 
I don't think you could do one without the other. I think Mama Rose could be really fun. Oh my God, that felt so good. I did it at a very small theater called the Muni <laughs> in uh, St. Louis. A tiny little intimate house. It's a very tiny little intimate, I don't know, 11,000 people. And that, very air that was very air conditioned. No, you know, small, small, tiny role that I, you know, no, no, that was satisfying. That was satisfying because it was yeah. kind of all of the above with what I do. There's comedy and there's belting and then there's that. That heavy, heavy, dramatic, heavy sink your teeth st- in. Would you want to do a long run of that? I think so. You better hurry up before I get too old. <laughs> but, because it is not kidding. It is the King Lear of, yeah. you know, yeah. female roles. Or So, yeah, I'd like to do it again. Uh, yeah. We would like you to do it again, Thank too. you. I mean, are people sick of it by now? It's like, oh, God, here comes another gypsy. It, it's kind of feeling like we're due for another revival soon. I feel like it's All been right, a little well. long. Because Patti Lapone was the last Broadway revival? Yeah. In 08? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's 2022. Yeah. It's time, I think. And that was only, Patti's was only a couple years after Bernadette's. And so it was like, that kind of set the precedent of... It has to be done every... T- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> So how did Drowsy lead to the prom? Because in a lot of ways, the prom feels like the Drowsy for a new age, like just kind of a fun, comedic, has harsh, but bringing joy to audiences, you know? I feel like Broadway kind of lost that style of show. I agree. Uh, What was your question, Sweet Pea? How did Drowsy lead to the prom? Because the same creative team, right? Uh, Same creative team, yeah. I like to I like to think I'm in Nicola Repertory Company. <laughs> I, I like to think I'm in Bob Martin, Chad Bagelin, Matt Sklar Repertory Company, and that mm-hmm. is one of the greatest things of my life that they are and continue to write roles for Beth Level's voice. Voice. Mm-hmm. I'm using quotation marks. And that's how I was on the street doing something, and Casey says, "Can you just come over?" And we just want to. This was eight years ago. Yeah. We just want a table read of something that we're, we've been working on. We just want to know if what's happening to it. And me, uh, Brooks Eschmaskus, Chris Sieber, and Angie Schwar sat down and read the prom. And Oh, it was you four from the beginning. From the very beginning. It's now been almost 10 years. Wow. Since wow. we, you know, birthed our DNA all over these delicious characters. So, and it, you know, it's, it's. Finally, we did a reading and a workshop, and there was just something magical to the show. And then there was a break because Casey's so busy, and then we went to the (laughs) Alliance. We went to the Alliance Theater in Atlanta for a summer uh, four or five years ago. And then Mm -hmm. Casey had to do, oh my, I have to do Mean Girls. So he did Mean Girls, which was a huge (laughs) success. And then when that settled, the prom came back. But prom is like drowsy. It's a show that doesn't have a brand. Mm-hmm. No one knows about it. Mm-hmm. So trying to find the exact marketing to get butts in the seat yeah. is sh- what a lot of show business is about because it's a business. Mm-hmm. We are for profit. It was interesting trying to, for lack of a better word, struggle to explain what the drowsy chaperone is and to struggle, quote unquote, to explain what the prom was. So, mm-hmm. And was it... I guess from like a marketing perspective, was Drowsy also a struggle to establish as a brand? Because I feel like Broadway has transitioned now where we're very like movie properties and like book remakes Hello. and all this stuff. So like yeah. original stuff is really hard to market, especially now. Was it like that when Drowsy was happening? Absolutely. Because it, people were going, what, what in the world is the Drowsy, Droopy, Droppy, shall, Chaperone? What, you know, my family was like, what is it? The Drowsy? What does that mean? <laughs> the drowsy. I was like, just come and see it. And yeah. once you got the people in the seats. They got it. They ca- they got it. And they came back. Yeah. And they came back. And they asked their family and they asked their friends to come see it. It just wasn't. Oh, there was a. Was it an IOTC or a musician strike? There was like mm. a two week strike in oh. there. And that we mm-hmm. couldn't uh, sustain it after that. But oh, it is so time for a drowsy revival, is it not? Yeah. Wow. So it is, time. Both, I mean, both The Prom and Drowsy are both kind of like good old-fashioned golden age musical comedies mm-hmm. in an envelope of something that isn't that. Exactly. Like, Ray, well, well done, you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so cross-stitching that in an envelope. <laughs> 
Yeah, then so it is interesting because it both shows feel like they should be top five for every theater lover. But you're saying it's like it's hard to explain that to somebody. It is. To get past the like, oh, it's about two teenagers going to the prom. It's like, no, but it's about these show people who like come and make a mess of everything and it's hijinks and it's farce and it's like all of the things that you want. And I absolutely do not envy any marketing company that has to try (laughs) to brand that in one poster. Right. In a tagline. How how in the world do you do that? And with Drowsy too, even though um, it's a comedy within a musical. I thought that was kind of clever. But again, that, yeah. your tourists that are coming in from Ohio, if you're going to see a Hello, Dolly, or Droopy Chirperoon, I mean, what would you choose? <laughs> you, you choose, because it's not cheap yeah. to go to the theaters, so. Right. So you don't want to necessarily take a risk exactly. on Exactly. Drowsy has such a life now in colleges and high schools. I mean, it is yeah. so beloved. It's like the high school show. Oh, it, yeah. because you can expand it to mm-hmm. have a, a ginormous ensemble, or you can keep it as written. You know, the show has such heart, and those of us who have done it just have this connection. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So what is it like to be, if we're talking about the prom, what is it like to be in a show that you know is so special and you know audiences are loving, but maybe you know isn't being communicated well to the masses? Are you aware of that as you're performing, or are you kind of just doing the show and not Not as we're performing at all, Uh, because the audience that were in there every night were... 100% 100% invested in the show. If they mm-hmm. weren't, mm-hmm. by the time they got to the third number, they were like, oh, I see what this is. Uh, remind me to tell yeah. you the story about the director of Prada and the prom. Just okay, put okay. a... If you want to wear your bow to put we'll a pin that. in it. Um, <laughs> thank you. I don't know where that comes from. Yeah, but what... You know, I've been around for a while, so all of us would look at the numbers and go, are we... Is this mm-hmm. show becoming profitable how much longer am I going to get a paycheck? What do we have to do yeah. to bring this show? Because people need to see this show because it really mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm. lives. It really did. Mm-hmm. Not only for, you know, uh, LGBTQ that were, were able to see two women as the heroes successfully yeah. of a love story, but mm-hmm. for their parents. Especially women, too. Because I feel like we get a lot of gay male representation. Totally. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and we would go through the line outside and we would hear things like, I'm getting ready to come out to my mother. And the mother was back there and I'm like going, go for it. I mean, we, it, and the yeah. letters, oh, particularly the letters the girls got, Caitlin and Izzy, uh, is mm-hmm. just, mm. uh, when people go, oh, you just do musical comedy. I'm like, oh, nay, nay. Yeah. <laughs> we have the ability to change people's lives because they are, we, they see themselves on stage and uh, the prom particularly was was life-changing to me in that way. Mm-hmm. And to, not, again, not be branded and to just be an original, original piece that came from, you know, it's based on true stories, but that we have this brilliant creative team that brought it off the page and changed the world. And then they made it a movie and that changed the world. So mm-hmm. that's really, yeah. it's, I'm very proud of the prom and I miss it. Yeah. I really miss yeah. it. I think it should have run a lot longer. I agree. I agree. It was such, uh, such a special show. Agreed. You mentioned Prada. Yes. And we are very what? excited about Prada. Tell us your story about the director okay. and then we'll All ask right. our questions. So <laughs> uh, Anna Shapiro, she's an amazing director. She used to be the uh, artistic director of Steppenwolf. She just directed The Minutes. Mm. She mm-hmm. won a Tony Award for August Osage County. And mm. the producers whom or, or whomever makes decisions like this, mm-hmm. cast her as the director. That's not what you say, but... <laughs> hired her. Hired her, <laughs> whatever. Or I'm not really sure how that process works. But Anna doesn't yeah. do a lot of musicals, and this will be her um. Broadway debut in a musical that is probably going to be one of the hugest musicals ever because it's yeah, The Devil Wears Prada. Great. And talk about branding. Right. Yeah. So before prom closed... She decided, she and Shana Taub, who is our fabulous lyricist and is a you know, superstar on her own, yeah. came and went and saw, she just wanted to live in every Broadway musical, off-Broadway musical. So she came down and she just spent a week seeing musical after musical after musical. And Shana, who had seen Prom a couple of times and was a big fan, said, I, want, I really want you to see the Prom. And Anna yeah. went, I'm really not interested. Mm. 
She said, what is it, like high school musicals? She said, it's really just not my thing. And here we get back to that yeah. branding issue. Right. And Shana said, you really yeah. need to go. Please just come with me. And she's like, fine. So begrudgingly, I believe Anna and Shana come to the show and they're sitting there. And the show starts, goes and goes. And rumor has it, that or I'm making it up, which whatever. Anna turns to Shana and she says about me, she said, I found her. Wow. So the next day-ish... It was Dee Dee Allen that did it. God bless Dee Dee. There's a call that goes out to my agent saying that, could I please have a meeting with her? And I'm like, yeah. So I try to, yeah. you know, dress like Miranda-ish. And we... Wa- and is this an... Aud- did we audition for Prada or was it kind of just Mm-mm, conversations? This is a meeting. So I go up. Love it. And it opened Jar Studio on 48th Street. Mm-hmm. And we sit in the room for an hour and a half. And wow. then I knew it was mine. Wow. And she is divine. And I think we're going to have a good time. And you, people go, oh my gosh, are you going to do it like the movie? I said, that's the movie. This is the right. musical. Yeah. And it is lifted in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because in thinking about The Devil Wears Prada, yes. the character of Miranda specifically to me doesn't necessarily feel like it's begging to sing in the movie. So talk mm. about Beth's Miranda in this stage adaptation of The Devil Wears Prada. I'm still discovering it. You know, we've done a couple of workshops. And of course, the last workshop we did was blunted because of COVID. So mm-hmm. we never really mm-hmm. got to do these presentations we were going to do but it's interesting because Miranda's like the antithesis of all the other roles that I played right very much so it's very subdued at least in the movie it's very subdued that's that's who she is so that's who my Miranda is going to be uh my songs come out of necessity not like here's a belt number Mm. Uh. until the 11 o'clock number which that's all I'm going to tell you Wow. That's all we need to know. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, it's it's exciting. And our choreographer, I just haven't seen storytelling like this. Even in the workshop, like what's happening here? You know, when you get that goosebumpy kind of things happening? (gasps) Mm -hmm. It's just really exciting. And I'm just not even going to try to explain the clothes I'm wearing. Uh. (laughs) Sure. I'm like, who do you think you are? (laughs) <laughs> Who is costume designing? Her name is Ariane Phillips. She is. Uh, she was Madonna's designer, and she is working particularly for my clothes. And I don't know if this is a secret, so please don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm, She's working mm-hmm. hand in hand with the House of Prada. Wow! Wow! I'm just saying. As you must. What? A, but like. So, but she's brilliant. She's just brilliant. That's so And yeah. just is just you know wise and has been around and knows all these things I'm learning about house of fashions and how they work. I'm really hoping that I can go be a fly on the wall in a couple of these ateliers that you know. Just so I won't get in anybody's way. It's just to feel the energy. And, you yeah. Know, I'm going to call it research, but I just really want to go in there. <laughs> And just see what that feels like. Well, it's interesting because like when you were announced for Prada, I was like, this feels like, oh, we're turning a new chapter in Beth Level's career and we're entering like this new era. And then hearing you describe talking about Miranda being subdued and underplayed and that's kind of who she is as a character and that being something so different from what Broadway audiences have seen from you. It's very different. It does feel like this is going to be a very big moment for you in well, your career. Well, tweety do, tweet, tweet, tweet. We'll see. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just, just going to be as truthful and authentic and serve what uh, they, what Miranda needs to do in our musical. Because I'm sure at this point in your career, you are at a point where you can kind of pick and choose what avenues you want to go down and the career you want to build for yourself. Right. So what was it about Prada that made you want to do it? Who would ever say no to Miranda Priestley <laughs> and Elton John right. and Anna Shapiro? It's, it was yeah. really a no-brainer. Even if it's my last show ever, it's like, y'all, I'm going out like this. Going out in Prada. In Prada, in, <laughs> in four-inch pumps. Clear, please. Come on. Four-inch pumps. Mm-mm-mm. What a fun perk to this role that is, like, obviously received as this, like, behemoth, legendary character yes 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 and i just can't wait for people to see how we've turned it into a musical 
so mm-hmm. successfully. Mm-hmm. It's not the movie mm-hmm. with songs. It's, a, I love it's our musical. It really is our musical. Which I think is the way to do. Absolutely. All the, cre- all the creatives behind the table are uh, identifying as women. So that changes the story as well. Except for Elton, but he's not behind the table. He's in London, so. Right. right. <laughs> he's on Zoom. He's on tour. Yes. You can, can you tell I'm a little excited about it? I mean, we start As rehearsal. should be. We start rehearsal in uh, 12 days or something like that. Or a oh, month wow. in. I was going to say, post-shutdown, what has been the getting it back up on its feet process? Uh, the last time we were shut down was December. So we start uh, a month oh. in May, like May something. I don't remember. I have to look at my calendar. Okay. And then so we you get... haven't been rehearsing or doing anything January through now? Nope. Gotcha. Except okay. some costume fittings and discussions and shoe fittings and wig fittings and glasses, sunglasses fittings. What? Mm. Oh, we're not kidding in this show. We are not kidding in this show. <laughs> and then we go to Chicago because the, the tech's going to be intense because I've never yeah. seen such a yeah. fabulous, dynamic, huge set that that's almost a scene partner. Yeah. And we tech, 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 tech. Preview, rehearse, preview, rehearse, and then the actual run in Chicago. I think it's about four weeks, and then mm-hmm. we'll see what happens after that. You're so excited. I want to plan it. I know. We are, Please Quincy do. and I are debating coming to Chicago. Well, come to Chicago. It's beautiful this summer, I hear. As if I'm going to see any Chicago, I'm going to go from the theater back to the hotel. <laughs> it's very glamorous. You'll be deep in the work. There you go. Deep yeah. in my, my improv games. Your process. <laughs> So we like to ask every non-Wicked guest to round out these interviews. What is a road not taken in your career? So this could be a role you were almost close to getting, but then didn't get, a role you decided not to take. Do you know what? I just really, could I have asked for any other more satisfying trajectory of my career? I remember one of the what I thought was going to be my Broadway debut when I moved to the city was a musical called Marilyn mm. based on Marilyn. Oh. And I was going to wow. be like a, uh, I was down to the wire to be one of the, there was like a singing group that was kind of a Greek chorus for the show. Oh, okay. And I was devastated that I didn't get it. Mm. If I had gotten Marilyn crazy for you wouldn't have happened. Right. Mm, In Maryland, I think, ran a week. It was, yeah. So as heartbreaking as that was, sometimes it's like, okay, well. Worked out the right way. Yeah. And, you know, I really like to think of moments when I turned something down and if I was disappointed. There was, there's just a reason. And if I didn't get it and I, believe me, there's roles that I really wish I had gotten. I give myself Mm -hmm. permission to grieve and go, Mm -hmm. ugh, why didn't, and then you got to let it go because... there's tomorrow knocking at your door and there's the drowsy chaperone and there's, you know, the prom and Miranda Priestley. Yeah. So just let all that go. Yeah. I try to make that real. Trust me. There's sometimes like, why did I get it? Right. But, <laughs> and then you see who got cast and you go, oh, well, duh. I can't yeah, do right. that. That's yeah. not, that wasn't meant for me. That's not my DNA. That's not, no, I can't authentically yeah. bring that. That's, that's not my singularity at all. At this point in your career, do you still get upset when things, when you lose out on things or are you secure enough in being like, I'm Beth Level, Both. it's fine. No, I never, that, I was telling Adam, my fiance the other day, it's, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you guys feel this, but you know, Beth Level's over here. Here's Beth Level. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. so confident and she's funny. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's <laughs> Beth who's sitting here in front of you in her pajamas <laughs> right. with a Diet Coke. <laughs> So the, I, and this, I have Dr. all of Beth, the above, Doctor Doctor Tony Beth. Right. Um, <laughs> I have all of those feelings. Uh, yeah. You know, you're still human at the end of the day. With I hope so. And... If I'm not human, I'm like, oh, I, you know, and somebody come and slap me. It's just like stop it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the things I, you know, I, the things I get really disappointed in now is like I really, really before I die. When, that's very dramatic. Before I die, before I die, children, I really would like to originate a television series and bring those mm. qualities into that. But if that doesn't happen, fine. I'll be happy with whatever the path it is. I've been so fortunate and lucky. I cannot complain about one one thing. I just really can't. Yeah. I'm totally blessed. Ah. Mm. 
Dr. Tony. I think that's a really beautiful perspective to have. Yeah. yeah, and I try I try to make that. I try to remind myself if you go down there like, why can't I do that role? It's like, ah, uh-uh. ah, you, you do not have permission. Mm. Oh, well, Beth Level, thank you so much. This has been such a so great much. conversation. You guys are great. And I'm sorry I wasn't in Wicked. And <laughs> I just, we'll There's still time, Beth. I, I just missed that boat. I just missed it. And uh, again. Oh! We got it twice. We, we got, got it, it twice. Puppy. <laughs> You guys, this was so much, this was so joy-filled. Thank you. This was so great. Oh, thank you. Quincy, what if The Devil Wears Prada was an Elton John jukebox musical? And not? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> Shana Tav, if you're listening. <laughs> oh my God, the act two opening is The Bitch is Back. Honestly, <laughs> Wait, that I'd works. be into that. <laughs> Um, did you hear about that off-Broadway musical called Titanic? That's the story of Titanic told with Celine Dion music. Titanic with Marla Mandel. Has Celine Dion lived a life? She like, has an interesting story. Yeah, she's like... Oh, does she? Yeah, I mean, she was like one of like 12 kids, I think. Like, she's from a huge family. Speaking of Canadian sensation, that and Juliet cast for Toronto. Should we take a trip? Oh, my God. I thought of you immediately. <laughs> I think this show has Quincy written all over it. I'm excited for it. Because it it's like, it's just pop, pop music. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. And, and it's, it's Max very Martin pop music, which is Quincy pop music. Yeah, it is. It's so, so fun. I can't wait to see it again. I'm excited. I'm excited to see Betsy Wolf back on a stage. Um, I'm obsessed with Beth Level. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about Dr. Beth Level, please? <laughs> That was such a fun zippity zappity doo da day interview. She, um, I feel like, had a great rapport with us. Just really cool to talk to an actress who has had the career that Beth Level has had. And also, I mm-hmm. might, if I may say, really may. cool to see that she's still so chill and grounded after having mm-hmm. the career that she's had, you know, because I think she very well could be not that if she wanted to mm-hmm. be, you know? She's a very grounded diva, yeah. I love it. I loved hearing her talk. Well, first of all, it made me really excited to hear about all of the, like, fittings and stuff she's doing for Double Wars Prada because it reminds me of when Legally Blonde the musical came out. Um, there were all of these like playbill.com or like broadway.com videos of Laura Bell Bundy getting fitted in like all of Elle's like designer everything. Mm. Um, and I remember her, like there was one where she was like these like $800 sunglasses that I wear on the top of my head for like a crossover. Like, all, yeah. So I just think that's such a fun perk for p- playing a role like that. I personally don't really pay attention to costumes and stuff when I see a Broadway production. So it was mm-hmm. cool to hear her talk about it. And a lot of thought and attention goes into costumes, especially on a show like Prada, obviously. Um, but it got me really excited. Well, okay. So this actually is a point that I wanted to make, a Wicked-related point. While she was talking about the Devil Wars Prada, I was making the connection of like Wicked is a musical based on a book that has a famous movie property associated with it, like The Wizard of Oz. I know it's not quite the same, but hearing her talk about how her Miranda is going to be so different than maybe what we're used to because she has the book to draw from and she has like other source material, I think Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting because we've been talking about is the Wicked movie, Mm. the Wicked musical movie going to do that and pull from the book to kind of expand the world a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Wait, is the Devil Wears Prada based off of a book? Did you just say that? Sorry, I tuned out for like Yeah, so the, the Devil Wears Prada is um, based on a novel that was written by somebody who was Anna Wintour's assistant. You know what this is bringing me back to now that you're saying this? Walking through Costco with my mother and like during that era of the novel being out and just like that book being on those like tables that they have of books yeah it's a good it, it's very different than the movie uh, it follows like the same general like i wonder if that's read the book i would imagine and she has a doctorate for god's <laughs> sake i'm sure she read the book <laughs> when we were discussing the character of miranda and how understated and 
how much she downplays everything. She always kind of has a lid on her mm-hmm. and how different that is from what we've traditionally seen from Beth Level. I am so excited to see her do that. You know? Yeah, and to see, like, like the character, yes, is simmering, but, like, Beth Level herself, like, her vehicle for storytelling is going to have that lid on it, and then just, like, full out, we get an 11 o'clock number. Yeah. is going to be so satisfying to, like... What is Miranda's 11 o'clock number? Well, she, I know she said it's not the movie with songs, but I would imagine it's, like, in that moment in the movie where she's like, don't be silly, Andrea, everyone wants to be us. And then Anne Hathaway quits. Mm. I feel like that's probably the... I'm very excited for this musical. Oh, you know what I loved to hear that I don't think I realized is that all four of those roles in the prom were the four of them from the very beginning. Yeah, which I guess like really makes cool. sense. But yeah, I also didn't realize that. I kind of think I knew that it, Beth was doing it from the beginning, but I don't think I connected the dots that all four of them were. I knew that the other three had done it out of town. But it's cool to know that that group got to build that together in that kind of process. It really adds to the specialness of the prom. The prom is such a cute little special package of a show, I feel like. I agree. She was talking about how, you know, she wanted to be, she always wanted to do comedy and she's kind of known for being Mm -hmm. this comedy actress with a belt. But then when she got to do Mama Rose, sinking her teeth into something dramatic like that, it made me mm-hmm. w- want to see her in a dramatic role. But maybe Miranda's going to be kind of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense to build the role of Miranda to be, like, one of the roles that we hold as, like, a Mama Rose, a Joanne and company. Roles that these, like, big, heavy hitter musical theater legends yeah. step into. No, I just, like, I'm really in love with Beth Level after that interview. I want nothing but good things for her. Just, like, a really, really fantastic lady. It's nice to learn that somebody who is as uberly successful as she is is also, like, a genuinely kind person. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, Beth. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Dr. Tony Beth. Dr. Tony Beth. Um, should we do a, should we do a Cavsy and Quincico, Kevin? A little Dearest Darlingist? Dearest Darling. Again, a moment of transition and you I did on that one on purpose. Accent. I was doing a callback to the joke we made and uh, you didn't pick up on it, so I let it slide. Well, because it always <laughs> happens, so I didn't realize it was a joke. <laughs> My dearest darlingest, Kevsy and Quincico. What do you think of the denizens of Oz get up to in their everyday lives like are there green 401ks what does the ribbon dancer do when he's not ribbon dancing i just want to know is there anything canonical that supports life in the emerald city when not when one is not at the ozdust ballroom you know kaylin to answer this question i'm gonna sing you a song Ha ha ha, ho ho ho, and a couple of tra la la. That's how we left the day away in the merry old land of Oz. <laughs> Canonically, I think the, what did she say? The denizens of Oz. The denizens, yeah. I think the denizens of Oz. The hoi polloi. They get up at 12 and start to work at one, take an hour for lunch, and then at Noon, they're done? Is that the right lyrics? That doesn't make sense. We get up at 12 and start to work at 1. Take an hour for lunch and then at 2 we're done, probably. Yeah. Well, okay, so here's here's what we know. Here's what we know. About the... Says the scholar. The occupations in the Emerald City. This is Dr. Kevin. We know that there are dress salons, libraries, (laughs) museums, and Broadway shows. I wouldn't say Broadway. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Professional... Um, yeah, there are actors in <laughs> in the Emerald City. I would imagine the ribbon dancer is in the Wizomania ensemble. Anyone who's ribbon dancing through the streets, you're right, is in the ensemble, actually. I was going to say, yeah, that's an ensemble gay that's ribbon dancing through the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so uh, what I do think is interesting, though, Quincy, is like anything we know about the Emerald City is a very like... Not mundane. Like, there's no bankers. There's no... It's all, like, dresses and libraries and museums and very culture-heavy mm. things. Value the arts and Oz. Yeah, I do get the vibe that it's a very, like, an opulent, 
cultural society, kind of like uh, in the Hunger Games, in the capital. Sure, sure, sure. Met Gala vibes all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think Cynthia and Ariana are going to go to the Met Gala when the movie is dropping? I do, because they've both already been. Yeah. If I were in charge of the Wicked movie, which famously I am not, <laughs> I would be... Yet. Yet. I would be on the phone with Anna Wintour personally. I would call Beth Level and I would say, can you please connect me to Anna Wintour? And I would say, in the Met Gala between the two movies... The theme should be something that w- that could tie in Ari and Cynthia's presence there. Emerald. Emerald. It could be like MGM, Golden Age Hollywood, mm. like something that can tie them to being there. All of this is to say, I just want to watch Ari and Cynthia walk up those stairs in like humongous dresses. Yeah, that'd be great. So yeah, so that's what I think... The Emerald City does. I think they just walk around looking fabulous. Do you think there's like the slums of the Emerald City? Oh, like Skid Row? The outcasts. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. But Kaylin, thank you for <laughs> for giving me something new to think about at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, another great episode with you, Kevin. Oh, I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm going to be so self-conscious about when I use a British accent. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, see you soon. Yeah, but Quincy, before we go, I would just like to mention to all of our listeners that uh, we would love it if you could, uh, on your phone right now, since I know you're holding it, listening to us, uh, getting ready to skip to the end of the episode. Gripping if you could, if you, If you could open up Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a glowing review, we would... Really, really appreciate it. Um, And if you're really feeling like supporting the pod, you can also join the Green Circle, which you will hear about in the credits. Bye. You've been listening to Sentimental Men. This episode was produced and edited by your hosts, Quincy Brown and Kevin Bianchi. You can reach us at sentimentalmenpod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at sentmenpod. You can support the pod by leaving us a rating or a review or by subscribing. Subscribers get early access to our regular episodes, monthly bonus episodes, and get added to the Scent Men Green Circle. Which is literally our close friends on Instagram. (laughs) Thanks to Julia DiMarzo for our thrillifying artwork. And thanks to you for tuning in. Till next time, I'm Quincy. And I'm Kevin. It's like Adina's this deity. It's, so it's funny. not a deity. <laughs> Get out of here.